Luke chapter 17. We're going to finish what we started last week tonight. Luke 17, our text came from verse 10. You surely are all familiar with it. We're not sharing anything with you tonight that's new, but something you have surely heard before, but to just re-alert you to it, re-inform you of it, let you re-enjoy it, or revitalized by it, re-encouraged by it. That's one of the things you do when you teach. You teach until people begin to get it, and then once they begin to get it, they begin to be encouraged by it. You yourself have said many times, if you've listened a lot, even when you've heard some things more than once, you've said, I like that message. That's really good because it's inspirational. It personally inspires you to action. Not just complacent listening, but you get inspired to, well, that's right. That's what I'm going to do. That's, yes, I'm glad I heard that because I need to hear that. You said that. Well, in verse 10, this old familiar verse you've heard, it says, So likewise you, when you have done all those things which are commanded you, say, Say this, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. Now you think of that. I know you do and I know you have, but think about it again. Jesus said, when you have done all the things that were suggested that you should do. Actually, he said commanded, didn't he? To take it a step further, we could say that whatever Jesus has told us was not just aimless idle words, they were commandments. I mean, Jesus didn't talk idle or aimless. He gave instructions, and this was his instruction. This is the way I want you to live, and when you live this way, I want you to do this. And when you do this, you're going to get results because you're doing what God wants you to do. God's behind it. Now, when you get results, don't think you're really somebody special in the kingdom because something happened when you prayed or when you laid hands on somebody because you were supposed to pray, you were supposed to lay hands on somebody, and it was your father's good pleasure to benefit whoever you prayed for and whoever you laid hands on. But you have no power to do that. God has all the power. He simply used you. You are still, apart from God, you're no different than you ever were. You're an unprofitable servant because you can't do anything to merit God's attention because the only thing acceptable to God is what he does. And that's what this is all about. They asked the question, Lord, increase our faith, which is the title of the message. Lord, increase our faith. And I don't want to review everything we said last week, but I do want to say a few things. They obviously asked that question taking note of how many times Jesus referred to faith as the reason something happened or the reason something didn't happen. Jesus began to sink. He said, oh, you have little faith. When the disciples asked Jesus, why couldn't we cast this demon out? He said, because of the littleness of your faith. And when things worked out well, Lord, the fig tree you cursed is dying. He said, have faith in God. Two blind men in Matthew 9, he said, be it unto you according to your faith. Along with all the things that are written in the Bible about the just shall live by faith and we walk by faith. Faith is a work, it's a fruit, it's a gift. Over and over, it's amplified in the Bible. Now, somewhere in the walk 
that these disciples had with Jesus and the many instances and things that they saw and things they heard him say, they must have been together often and said, you know, he talks about faith all the time, about what causes things to happen. Like that guy, you know, bid unto you according to your faith. You know, that's what we need. We need that. But they came to him and said, Lord, increase our faith. Obviously, we want to do what you did. You don't hear that today because nobody believes anything can happen today. That's what the degenerate age that we're in now. Everything now is entertainment. And it's a show and making people feel good. But back then, and the way it should be in the early church, and the way it was in the early church, it should be now, is that these men were equipped with spiritual things. Jesus showed us what can happen to an ordinary man. He was in the flesh like we're in the flesh. He showed us how to live. He said, the things that I do, you can do also. And he went about doing good and healing all that was, I mean, he did that. And he turned to his disciples and said, you know, when they began to sink in the water, they thought they were going to drown in the sea. And Mark 4, they woke him up and said, Master, carest thou not that we're drowning? He said, how is it that you have no faith? In other words, he required them to, to have the same attitude about things as he did. Whenever they couldn't cast out a demon, he said, bring him here to me. He said, how long shall I? put up with this generation, evil generation. He said, bring him here to me, and he cast him out. He said, as the Father sent me, so send I you. The power that he gave me, I'm going to give it to you. The works I did, you do also. See, that was the power that was in faith. Everything was done because of believing. And he told his disciples, what things ever you desire, when you pray, you believe that you get it, and you will. He said, all things whatsoever you ask when you pray, it shall be done for you. And he said, nothing is impossible to those who believe. Well, the age that we're in now, there's been many people that have listened to those very things I just said for 25, 30 years and are just as scared today as they were in the beginning, just as uncertain now as they were then. This is not a message you hear once in a while. I think the benefit that I personally have had all these years is because I talk about it all the time. This is in my mind fresh all the time because twice a week I'm dealing with some aspect of it. Maybe that is an advantage that I have over others. It shouldn't be, but maybe it is. I mean, I don't work eight hours a day at some job somewhere like most of you do. So, I mean, I spend my time in an office getting soft and sitting in there. So to prepare my heart so that I can share with you what the Lord shows me. But I can tell you this tonight standing here, that faith does work. That it is the great lack in the church now. Sometimes you hear somebody, well, praise God, we threw away our aspirins and we're just going to trust the Lord. And people in the same body, in the same church who have heard that for years go, ooh, like, oh, don't do that. And see, that shouldn't be. That's not a healthy sign of a thriving relationship with Jesus. Because truth be known, though we're in various stages of growth and we struggle with this or we struggle with that, we shouldn't be afraid to trust the Lord. And fear, though, is a real thing. I'd say most of you here that are critical of others who have, in your eyes, fallen, have never been where they are. 
You've never had the threat of a hernia putting your life in a box. A hernia. Yeah, or a lot of things. And when people go through trials that you've never had, and you tend to talk about it negatively, and it's, you know, people can be negative real easy. Because I've seen it again. I'm standing here tonight thinking through the years when I've seen things like this happen. Those people, most of those people are gone now. They couldn't cope with the little trials they had, and so they just gave it up. The best thing you can do when you see people in a difficult, just pray for them. And don't say nothing unless it's positive. Because I guarantee you somebody's listening to you. Somebody's tuned in to you. But realizing the power and the importance of faith in his life and how he taught his disciples, they said, Lord, increase our faith. And he warned them. He said, let me tell you something. And then he warns them about, if you have faith like I have faith, if you do what I do, and you will, you're supposed to. It's commanded you to do that. As the Father sent me, so send I you. And these signs shall follow those who believe. And he lists all those things. Well, now you're going to do this. Or else you're going to wonder why you can't, but somebody will. Somebody will. He said, let me tell you something. People, it is so seldom that anything of that nature ever happens in the church that when you use your faith and God blesses you, people are going to seek you out. They're going to drive great distances to come to your church. They're going to call you and demand your time and attention because they think that you're God. That if you want to get delivered, you got to go to him. If you want to get healed, you got to go to him. If you want to get prayed for and get better, you got to call him to do it because people don't have faith today. There really is a void in the church, and nobody talks about it. Well, nobody, not, you know, that was negative. But it's true that lots of people really don't discuss it as a need in their life. There's other things more important, like, you know, raising funds, you know, to build a new building, or how are we going to get more chairs? See, that's what people talk about today. It's not a deficient spiritual stance before God where the things that we hear that we should be doing that we sort of don't listen to and we're not doing, we look for other things to do. We proud ourselves in doing a lot of things that are powerless in nature. Anybody can raise money. Anybody can build a building. All you need is people to come and pay for it. And people will come if you tell them what they want to hear. Well, anyway, I thought I'd throw that in to review what we said last week because I started out last week by simply asking the question, why would you want a strong faith? And we mentioned, you know, that so he could please God, so he could claim his promises, so he can mature, have a Christian testimony, just, you know, talk about what God's doing, what God did. And that's why I want faith. Faith pleases God. It comes from God. It's designed to please God. And God wants us to be a people who walk by faith and not by sight. People who realize that we have to take God at his word and believe that what he said is true even before there's any evidence of that truth. And you're not living in an age that goes that way. You're not living in a world that believes like that. In fact, other Christians are embarrassed when you talk that way around them. They can't figure out what tree you were hiding in. Because nobody talks that way, it seems. Very few people talk about their need for faith or the problem that I have when what happened to me was my faith. It's not wrong to realize that your faith is not where it should be either. 
I have stood at, at hospitals with men in, in the 30 plus years I've been here, 31 years. I've sat there with grown men crying because, you know, I know this is not the way to go. And, but, you know, I don't want, and then they mentioned some things that happened here, death or whatever. It wasn't what they wanted to do, but they realized I, what it takes, I ain't got. And the question is, would we rather you be in a box and say, well, at least they died, you know, not believing, but they died, you know. They didn't. You want them dead or you want them alive? You know, when you're alive, you can work on your weaknesses. I'm glad for everybody that survives, doesn't let the guilt ruin them, but everybody who survives regroups and gets that plow handle gripped a little tighter. God is long-suffering to the likes of me, and I'm sure he is with you. And I appreciate that because I'm getting it better than I deserve. You know, if I was God, I would have probably crunched me a long time ago. But God is gentle and kind and long-suffering, and he loves us far more than we realize. And the work he started in us, believe it or not, he is going to finish and when he gets done with it, he's going to say to you, you are a faithful servant. You made it, so praise the Lord. Now, increase our faith. Jesus said, okay, but don't let pride get in the way where you think you're a hot shot because everybody wants you to speak because you got faith. Because we should all have faith. All of us. Not just faith to, to believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins and and make a confession of faith. But when you get up in the morning, when you face your day, everything that goes along, you should have something within you like a weapon. Something that not only keeps the devil from getting inside it anymore, like a shield. That sound all right, a shield of faith? Something that covers you, protects you, and then you got a weapon. Faith becomes a force in your life. It's what you use against things, car accidents and weather and storms and the devil, whatever he's doing. And you have to keep saying that and keep saying that and keep saying it because in the end, like Jesus said, it's not who attended church and who sang the songs, who gave the most money, who went the furthest down the road. But he said, what it's going to come down to is, do you have faith? Remember that Luke 18? Jesus asked the question, he said, nevertheless, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith? Does that include us? Did Jesus include Shelbyville Christian Assembly in that statement when he said, nevertheless, when the Son of Man returns, and he searches hearts, will he find faith? Because faith is a matter of the heart, isn't it? So it's important for me to make sure that you have a chance, that you have an opportunity. And it's also, for me, a warning that, you know, you, just because you've made it this far, just because you have a testimony, your race isn't over either. I had to fight the good fight. fought one this week just like you would. But God is faithful. He is faithful, absolutely faithful. Now, how do we get this faith? I want what you said, Brother Hamilton. And I like to know as simple as you can make it. And as far as I know, I'm pretty simple. I'm not proud of that. I'm just making a statement. 
I'd rather you understand something than you be impressed with something. Amen. Amen. So how do we get this faith? Well, let me ask you a question. If God gives you faith, can it be increased? Well, see, we know it can because if you had faith as a... Uh, turn Second Thessalonians for just a minute or two. Second Thessalonians chapter 1. If you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you would say to this tree and tell it what to do, and it would do it. Jesus said that would happen. I would agree with him that faith is a powerful force, even a little bit of it, because a mustard seed was made by God, a God-made seed, little as it is, you plant it, it becomes a huge thing, second only to a tomato plant. Remember in the spring, you get those little tomato plants out of those little styrofoam cups, and you plant that poor soul in the ground, little bitty thing, and it looks so little, and you think, why would you ever need a stake for that thing? We got four of them planted up just right beside our house. It looks like a jungle out there now. The thing is that tall. I'm talking about tomatoes and whatever else is in there. Well, a little bitty plant became a bit. Well, your faith is like that. It starts small. And if you want it to become like it's supposed to be, you have to realize that it can grow because apparently a lot of people say, well, yeah, I have faith, but, you know, it doesn't do anything. It doesn't bring them anywhere. Listen to this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 3. Paul wrote, he said, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is proper, because that your faith groweth exceedingly. Now, both of us, you and I know that faith can grow, that it is designed to grow, and it should grow. If you're a Christian, your growth is a faith growth, is a growth in faith. In fact, if you look over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, just turn the page back, chapter 4, verse 1, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus that as you have received of us how you ought to walk and please God. Now, how do you walk and how do you please God? What one word covers both of those? Faith. Without faith, it is impossible to what? Please God. And we walk by. Okay, so Paul said, I have taught you. You have received from us how you ought to walk and to please God so you would abound more and more. In other words, you walk and you live as God has taught you, there will be a growth, some progress, profiting, whatever you want to call it. There will be an increase in your personality, your testimony, your life. It gets more and more and more as it should be because the thing that brings it out, and trust me with this, is faith. And without faith, you're pretty complacent. I mean, you can get pretty stagnant the river of life becomes a little swampy and it, nothing's going on. That's when things like negativity and complaining and criticism sets in because you're not going anywhere yourself. And so it really is important, I think. It really is important that the church, that believers, understand that God holds us to walk by faith and the power that issues from that walk pleases him. Because he's the author of it, the promoter of it, you're simply willing to participate. 
because faith is an act of your will to count on God to do what he said. You can't make it work. God makes it work. That's why we are unprofitable servants. But we have the opportunity to have a great reward from the Lord. Well done, good and faithful servant, if we will live his way and do things his way and trust him for good results. And he's faithful. So how do we get this faith and how do we make this faith grow? Let's say we all have this faith. God gave us a measure of it, didn't he? Romans 3 gave us all a measure of faith. I want it to abound. I want it to grow exceedingly. I want it to be like the mustard seed that becomes what God made it to become. So how do we get there? Well, we start first, number one, with the fact that faith is based on the word and faith feeds on the word. The word of God, scripture, is the food of faith. If you were going to grow and get stronger as a young man, you got to eat right. Hopefully you eat right. I read today, as I scroll, I'm not much for reading 90% of them, but this one I thought was interesting, that they said that people who eat fast food a lot tend to be oppressed. Now, how do you prove that? That the people who ate at home most of the time and ate healthier food, oh, 70 so percent more were less oppressed than those who ate this other stuff. Well, Make it a faith point. People who feed on nothing tend to have nothing. And when you have nothing, you wonder why nothing's going on. Well, I go to church. We don't have anything. And, and you do get negative. You do. Nothing wrong with having questions. Just let God know what they are and deal with it. Or talk to somebody you can bounce things off of. If you feed yourself on the Word of God then you're opening yourself up to what causes faith to come in the first place. It not only brings faith, but you feed your faith on the Word. Romans 10, 17. So then faith cometh, how? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. What if somebody said Christians seldom feed their hearts or their lives or their spirits on the Word? They seldom sit down and read the Bible just for the pleasure of reading and to learn. Just reading in the Old Testament, for example, reading the stories. Read Joshua and Judges. These are stories. Joshua, Judges, and Ruth, and Samuel, and Kings and Chronicles about the kings and about the difficulties and the wars and the failures and the weaknesses. And then read all that. And then Go to Esther and, and go to Ezra and Nehemiah. And then you just keep reading stories, stories about how God deals with me. It's like the book of Acts. It's how God deals with man, what is possible, why things don't work. And it gives you something to ponder. It gives you an opportunity when you just read. I'm talking about just reading. When you just read the Bible, if you're diligent and you do it every day, I can attest to this. If you make a point of reading it every morning, you look forward every morning to reading it again because it's fresh. It's not just a, well, read two verses a day. and then Every day you read it. It's like at breakfast while you're eating cereal. Why not? No oppression in cereal. But <laughs> you just read it every day. You just read. And you find that the story becomes interesting and you'd be asking yourself, well, why did God let that happen? Later on, you'll read why, because of their sin. 
and then it comes back to you, you know, that could happen to you too. And then you begin to see it brings it up to date. It gives you something to think about. God shows you in that way, whether you're reading in the New or the Old Testament. I'm not talking about stories of famous people. I'm talking about the Word. And you begin to see things in there that God quickens you to deal with, or he encourages you, know, God will do that for you too. And your faith kind of gets a hold of this like a piece of meat. Well, that's how you feed your faith. When David's servants wanted to stone him at Ziklag in 1 Samuel 30, and he got away, and the Bible said he strengthened himself in the Lord, not in a commentary or a book, but in the Lord. He didn't get on the phone and call somebody who was good at words. He just strengthened himself in the Lord. And then he was able upon that to come back, take his troops, gain back all that was lost, and what was bad turned into something good. I assume that he believed that, look, we can't just sit here and let this be. We can't just sit here and let the devil have his way. We can't just sit here and do nothing about this. God has something for us to do. I don't know what to do. Well, then find out. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength and so on and so forth. So the more you read the word, and you could say the more you study the word, when you begin to seek specific information, that's why a good topical Bible or a, a good Strong's Concordance or a Thompson Chain Reference Bible, something, whatever your preference, something that gives you some options, something that can point you to other verses similar to this verse. This is how you study. You want to know what something means? Then you begin to search the Scriptures. God is waiting. The Holy Spirit is waiting. He's the teacher. He's waiting on you. You're not going to teach anything if you don't want to learn. I mean, if you don't want to know more, you, you won't learn more. But for those who have tasted to see that the Lord is good, God has more. And he begins to feed you a little more. You begin to be quickened, not only at that time, but during the day you remember, because the Spirit of God brings it to your remembrance, things that activate your faith. Listen to me. You've heard this before. The only thing in our lives that we have that can get us through and break the power of anything around us is the Word of God. And the only thing the Holy Spirit's going to use to set you free is the Word of God. He's not going to use noble comments from some great preacher in some historical setting. It's not what did Isaiah do or Jeremiah do, but it's back to what is it that God is saying to you. That's what the Holy Spirit prompts. You don't hide the word in your heart. You've got no word the Holy Spirit can bring to your remembrance. Isn't the word of God part of our weaponry? The sword of the... Uh, well, now, talking about weapons. Now, if the word of God is the sword of the Spirit, then the Holy Spirit uses this word in your hands and in your life to defend you or to give you the victory. And if we don't have this word hidden in our hearts, we're just church members or church attendees, but not hiding it in our heart, what does the Spirit of God use? That's why we make phone calls and call somebody, get on a prayer list somewhere, because if you don't have this word, you turn from looking to God to look to man. 
and nothing happens. So if you want your faith to be where it should be, you've got to feed your faith on the word. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, let's say you give yourself to studying or you give yourself to seeking and searching, learning what something means, and you begin to take that into your heart. Next thing you have to do when you do that, secondly, tonight, when you find that word and you search and find out for it, you got to take time to consider what you have learned and understood, and you got to make sure you hide that word in your heart. See, an intellectual, a Bible student, for example, may just learn a lot of facts and figures about Scripture and about Jesus and hide it in his heart. It becomes an intellectual word. Not a word they live by, not a word they count on, not a word they depend on in their life for deliverance or help or whatever, but it's a word that they have gotten used to and they learn it. I think that happens to a lot of preachers. I know it's happened to some that I have known who were so-called preachers, pseudo-preachers. They learned a lot, threw themselves into the learning process, outlearned everybody, they thought, their knowledge of the Bible was simply that. It was knowledge of the Bible. It wasn't anything that they would count on and depend on and trust in. You know, they were teachers. They just simply go to class every morning or they go to church twice a week and teach heady things to the people. And the people become little students. They just study the Bible. Not as a vital principle in my life that I need to win this battle of life, we just study more. We know a lot. We can answer all the questions. We could get on. If there was a Bible jeopardy, we'd win it every time. But there's not. And so you got to take time to hide this word in your heart. You read it and you ask yourself the question. I'm just sharing with you what I would do, what I do do. Now, do I believe that? Do I believe what I just read there, that what things soever I desire, if I pray, I'll get it? Because I can think of a lot of things I could pray for. Do I really believe I'll get that? You want your child to do well in school? How many of you have kids in school? You want them all to do well? You want them to excel? Why? So they get award? Or because you just want them to have a good grip on academic knowledge to go through this world. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. you got to have knowledge of this world to navigate all the things a kid goes through. What if they're not doing well? Can you believe they will? I found one time, I, don't, I probably threw them away, some of my notes from college days. College. Collage from my days of deep understanding. <laughs> and there was airplanes on there, like in high school. <laughs> same airplanes, the same basketball diagram, same pictures of somebody dunking a ball. Stick men, Drew, stick men all the time. <laughs> I was really into it. <laughs> you know, the stick men in the airplanes. Tried to draw soldiers, machine guns. In a class, a big collage class. 
through the years, that particular experience has informed me as I'm standing here tonight that while that happened to me in college, that can also happen to people in church. That you can listen to a lot of things in your life. Some of you have been here for 30 years. You have heard a lot. In spite of me, you've heard a lot. You have seen a lot. You've had a chance to be a lot, develop a lot, and maybe you have. Praise the Lord. But we have come to learn that when God teaches you something, it doesn't automatically work. It only works if you believe it. And you cannot believe it unless you hide it in your heart. And then you can only believe it as it's prompted by the Spirit. How many of you know that God heals? Then how many of you have heard that he heals? We all know that God heals. We all know that these signs shall follow those who what? They shall lay hands. Then why don't we as believers go lay hands on everybody in the hospital that's sick and get them all healed? Because the Bible said these signs shall follow those who believe. Are we believers or not? Then why don't we go do it? Same reason Jesus didn't do such things. He could in his own hometown, Mark 6, Jesus in his own hometown could not do mighty works. Wasn't he the son of God? Well, then what prevented him from doing mighty works? The same reason he couldn't do it is the same reason it can't be done today, because of unbelief. Mark 6, Jesus marveled at people's unbelief. Here was everything they needed if they would just believe in him and ask for it, and they, he would give it to them. Isn't that that boy that helped his daddy done fixing stuff, the carpenter boy? Isn't that that? Well, what's he doing out here talking like he's somebody? You can't help people like that. You can't help critical, negative people very often. You just set in an opposition to God. It just doesn't work. Things don't work. But for a man who hides this word in his heart and begins to realize what I want to believe and what I can believe are two different things because what I might want to do might not be the will of God at the time. Maybe a person I'm wanting to pray for really, really bad. Oh, God. Maybe there's a curse on this person's life. See how awful that sounds? What if this person's under judgment? What if they sin and we don't know a thing about it and the judgment is the problem? Or what if they're being chastised? Chastisement could have lasted for Israel one time. It lasted 40 years. Maybe I don't know how long people undergo chastisement today, but you're not going to pray for them and get them out of it. Because if God put them in it, you can't undo God. Amen? Now, wisdom and maturity dictates then that when you have faith and you ask yourself, do you believe God can do that? Yes. Do you believe he can do that through you? Yes. Absolutely sure, because it is for me. But I know this, I have learned this, I can't do that anytime I want to. Just like the, all the gifts of the Spirit are prompted by the Holy Spirit, you can't operate a gift anytime you want to. Back in the 70s, people thought you could, but we've learned you can't. You can mock and imitate gifts, but you can't have the genuine thing just simply because somebody wants you to. You, know, you can prophesy. You could give a word of knowledge. Let me tell you how easy it is to give a word of knowledge. Somebody here tonight is breathing. <laughs> oh, no joke. If I said somebody here tonight is having a problem in their stomach, somebody here has been having a serious problem with the lymph node under their armpit or uh, with a tumor-feeling thing on their leg or something, I might get it right. But on the other hand, you're playing games too. 
There's no faith in playing games. You're just hitting and missing here. And the devil knows things. And you have to be careful. I've been prophesied more than all of y'all put together. Everybody must have thought in the old days that, boy, we can prophesy to him. He'll really. And I've had him prophesy everything, but I mean, yelling, hollering, going, me, 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 And then start prophesying. I think, gracious sakes. I remember down in Orlando, Florida one time. Hi, me, 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 And I thought, gracious sakes. Then they came out with something that I recorded somewhere, but I have no idea what he said. But when the real thing happens, when people really get hungry and ready and God visits and true, honest gifts of the Spirit begin to operate, they will always have an effect when they operate. They're not just prophecy because, well, we're here tonight. We ought to prophesy. Well, we sang in the Spirit. Now we're quiet. Somebody ought to prophesy. It doesn't work like that. There's nothing mechanical about God. Not very predictable. God does things mysteriously sometimes. But when the gifts begin to operate and the real gift operates, real truth, you'll find that, well, you'll know it. Put it that way. When somebody speaks to you as directed by the Lord, you will absolutely know it. Somebody said, the Lord showed me in a dream last night that you were sitting in church right where you're sitting and that God instantly healed you because the preacher said you were healed in Jesus' name. And all the preacher has to do is say you were healed in Jesus' name. How many of you know that all the symptoms that they had, when they go away, you know it? Don't you think that would affect the way you listen from then on? But if you say, well, somebody here's got a problem with this or that, and that doesn't have much to do unless something happens. But we never stop believing that every time we meet, it's an opportunity for God to invade a quiet little meeting or a loud little meeting or a loud big meeting or a quiet big meeting. That God can invade the meeting and do something that he does and changes everything. I mean, what happens the night that, or the morning when somebody says to Carrie, you are healed, she gets up and walks and flesh on her body and everything back the way it was supposed to be. Yeah, 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 but now you say amen. But shouldn't it be like that? You know, we've asked ourselves for years, I wonder why. Well, I don't know why. I'm not God. God knows. But when things are right, just like on the day of Pentecost, when they were all together in one accord, everything was right. It was so right that for months after this, if there was a need, somebody sold whatever he had to take care of a need, they all were in the same way. And God, 3,000 added this week and added every day to the church and miracles and signs and wonders were happening, all that. The real deal. True, instantaneous miracles were happening because people were ready. They weren't wondering, when is it ever going to happen? I'd like to see something. They were believing. Their faith had been quickened. They were getting ready for this. Silver and gold have I none. Isn't that what Peter and John said, going to the gate called beautiful? Yeah, alms for the poor. How many times did Jesus walk by them in? I don't know. They must have walked by him a lot. When we were over there, we saw a lot of beggars. You can't help all of them. I helped one lady who looked at me like I'd hit her or something. 
I put a shekel or two in there, and she looked down and went, well, well, give it back if you don't want it. I'll give it somebody else, you know. Alms for the poor. They didn't stop any other time. They must have passed that guy every day. But one day, one day when everything was right, everything was right. Man wasn't trying to manipulate anything, but everything was right. They walked by there, and that fella asked for that, and Peter looked at that man. He said, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus, you rise and you walk. And he jumped up right on his feet. Now, that's the real deal. And I suspect there's more to it than that when you have faith. Because Jesus said, whosoever shall say to this mountain. And the reason I think sometimes in my own personal life, there's a restraint from saying things to people in the church you know need something. And the thing that restrains you is because God hadn't given you that release in your heart. I hope you understand that. You can't just make it work because you really want it to work. It has to be prompted by the Lord. And when you do it that way, something happens. When somebody prophesies, it means something. A word of knowledge is an astounding thing when it's of God. And a word of wisdom is absolutely marvelous when they come from God. Discerning of spirits will make you stand still because you actually see into that realm. Whew. You see angels or demons. But I'm just saying that faith covers so much ground in the church. It's not missed by very many people in the church, and yet it's gone in so many places. It's no longer an issue. People are running around trying to grow bigger and bigger and be greater and have more. Look what we got. And people don't even know how to trust God for a bee sting. For little things, they break apart over anything. And yet God said it shouldn't be like that. Lord, increase our faith. Would God that people would pray that. He said, study, seek, memorize the scripture, learn all of these things. Turn to Psalm 1 for a moment. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. You know the first verse there, don't you? Blessed is a man, walketh not, standeth not, sitteth not. And anything negative and anything that God does not promote, that God is not a part of, the Bible says, blessed to be envied is the man who avoids that, distances himself from that. Because this man's delight is not in political trash. His delight is not in who did and who don't and who won't and who can and who can't and who's too far, too hot, too slow, too young and too old. That's not his delight. His delight is not stuff. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, in Psalm 1 verse 2, in his law he doth meditate. It means to ponder deeply. He meditates, ponders, thinks, dwells on, seeks to understand, wants to get to the bottom of it. He meditates on the word of God day and night. And you know what the result of that is? He shall be. Like Shelbyville Christian Assembly, give us the word, preacher. We're going to go home 
like it's a, a bucket of ice cream. I'm going to eat the whole bucket. He shall be like a tree planted by the water. It blooms when it's supposed to. It has fruit all the time. And what does he say? And whatsoever he doeth, what if God wants to use him or her in the gifts of the Spirit? Would it work? Yeah, because you're right now. You've got yourself right. You're in the right frame of mind. You're one of those people now that because you're getting real sensitive and meditating and thinking and reading and studying, memorizing the Word, quoting the Word to yourself when you walk through the day, when you talk to your kids, you become Word of God inside-minded. And as you do that, you become a candidate for being useful to God. You stop on a street corner. You're in a store. Somebody's having a problem, and the Lord gives you a word of knowledge about their problem. And then he gives you a word of wisdom on what to tell them to do about it, some direction. And you tell people, they break down crying, how did you know? And then somebody gets saved, and... Their life gets turned around. Maybe the whole family, I don't know. Isn't it marvelous what God can do? When a person is ready, when you're a faithful person like Psalm 1, his delight is in the law of the Lord and he shall be like a tree, planted, prospering, bearing fruit, always able to bring forth what God puts into his roots, what God gives him, able to bring it forth. Study to show yourself approved unto God a workman, Paul wrote to Timothy. Study. Listen to something about study. Study, church. 2 Timothy 2, study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, the word study means to be diligent. It means to be diligent, to be earnest or eager. Listen to what one translation says. Do your utmost to show yourself true to God, a workman with no reason to be ashamed, accurate in delivering the message of the truth. The same word is translated labor in Hebrews 4.11 where he says, a labor to enter into rest. Be diligent. It won't just happen. You've got to apply yourself. Faith won't just come. You seek and you will find and folks, when you do hide this word in your heart and you take the time to do it because you want to get your life and your soul right with God, then the light begins to shine in your heart. It's like a light comes on. Suddenly things are illumined, as the Bible calls it, and your eyes are opened. And like in Ephesians 1, you see something in the way that God wants you to see it that you've never seen before. And it becomes, trust me with this, it becomes easy to use your faith at this point. It's just obvious that God will take care of this. God will take care of you. He'll take care of your health in older age. He'll supply your needs. You don't have to worry about health stuff and all this stuff. God will take care of you. And don't bunch up and say, who's talking about health? Well, he's 72 years old. Ooh, don't do that. I'm talking about you if you do that. Go say, praise the Lord. That's what the Bible says. Shouldn't we be able to grow into this? Well, you should, folks. You really, really should be able to. You should. 
Because when the light begins to shine into your heart, you'll say what Paul said, I know, I know, I know in whom I have believed. And I am persuaded. I am convinced that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Would you commit unto him my life, all of my faculties, what I have, what I am in charge of? It's all his. I have no fear of losing it. I have no need to gain more. If he takes it all away, then he'll give me more. I'm not worried about it. It absolutely has no bearing. It's God gives. They say God takes away. It doesn't matter. Let God be praised. Because Paul said he is able to keep that which I've committed. God is able tonight. God is able. I don't care who you are, what you've done, what you haven't done, what should have been done, that didn't get done. Listen, that was yesterday. Today is another day. Amen? Today is a new day. Yesterday's gone. I can't go back and undo my failure from yesterday. I cannot undo a weakness. that I, A word I spoke yesterday, I can't retrace it. Somebody once said that you can't get an arrow back once you let it go. When you release an arrow, it's gone. When you pull a trigger, that bullet, I mean, you can't make it come back. You live with the results, the consequences. So it's best to do nothing until you know what you're doing. Because when you release your faith, you don't want it back. You want it to do what God designed it to do. And it devastates sickness and poverty and uncertainty and oppression. It just ruins all that stuff, keeps it from doing its work, and it sets people free. You shall know the truth. The truth, he said, will make you free. A third thing that you should do to, for your faith to grow is that you must learn to trust the scripture that he gives you. That is, trust the scripture rather than somebody's opinion, some great author, some journal, some book, or some commentary by the best of all of them. I have a lot of commentaries. Even the bad ones have some good things to say on occasion. But I haven't agreed with all of them all the time. But I'll tell you one thing I can agree with all the time. I can agree with the Word of God. Didn't say I fully understood it. Didn't say I could prove everything right. Reading in 2 Samuel, day, towards the end of 2 Samuel, and I thought, I don't get it. I'm going to read that again I get to church. Now, I haven't yet, but I thought, that doesn't make sense. I wonder why that but you see, when you take this word and you hide this word in your heart, you're hiding God's word and not man's opinion. Because I've had people through the years say, did you hear what so-and-so said this morning on the radio or on a certain channel? That preacher said that you could marry five times if you wanted to. And I thought, I don't care what any of them say. See how arrogant that's. I don't care what, if they speak not according to this word, they have no light. And when you don't want to believe what I just said, they say, well, who said you were always right? And I have to tell them, I don't think anybody has ever said I'm always right. I believe I'm right. I may learn next week that, whoops, that wasn't exactly right. If I stood here tonight and said, now, what I'm telling you all tonight, I don't know if it's right or not. Well, why would you listen? 
See, I don't think what I'm telling you all tonight is right. I think this probably, it, it's just marginal. It could be right, but probably isn't. Well, you think, well, why, why do we want to listen to that? Again, we're all susceptible to learning, aren't we? I've said many things in the pulpit, early on especially, and then somebody would correct you. Hmm. A man named Vernon one time came up to me after a meeting. I had so proudly said, there's nowhere in the Bible that says a woman has to love her husband. It says a man should love his wife. It never says a woman should love her husband. This truck driver came up. Truck driver! You know, he came up. He said, <clears throat> Brother Tom, did you ever read that verse Timothy wrote about the older women should teach the younger women how to love their husbands? Do <laughs> you have a question, Vernon? <laughs> Go sit down. Isn't it amazing? God can send truck drivers to correct haughty preachers. Point is, we're all learning. We've all probably had a position in the past or the present that we may not have today because we, we see it a little clearer. We've always thought we were right. Haven't you always thought you were right about what you're doing? Or would you say, I'm doing what I know is wrong? Well, you wouldn't do that. You want to make sure that when you put this word in your heart, you understand it. You're not believing this because Hamilton or Freeman or anybody else said it. You're believing this because you see it in your Bible and you're not reading it, taking Spurgeon's word for it or any other great commentator or some book writer, some gifted writer. That's not what I go by. It's not true because he said it. It's true because God said it. And so you begin to trust in the scriptures rather than books and commentaries. You just know that, that God said his word is forever settled and he's never going to change it. Word is going to be like that forever. And if you as a preacher speak not according to this word, you have no light. You're giving people darkness. Now, if you prove not to be light, then you confess that you were wrong. I've had positions in the last 10 or 12, 15 years, whew, 20 years, and lost lots of friends over it. Doctrinal sin. And I used to say, show me where the scripture says that what I said is wrong. And I'll admit that you're right and I'm wrong. Just show me. And nobody would because I don't think anybody could. Now, I don't mean that to sound puffed up either. I'm just saying it, that I remember taking a whole lot of time to read a whole lot, study a whole lot, ask myself a lot of questions and came to a certain conclusion. This is what I believe. I know it doesn't line up with what somebody else said, but I'm not going to follow them. I'm going to try to stay with the Lord here. And you hold on to what you believe. What I believe about marriage and about raising children or about anything. It's got to be based on what the Lord shows me. And you hide that word in your heart. This is why your faith won't fail when you're certain that this is the way God told you to do it. Fourthly, guard your faith. Your faith has a zero on it. If the devil can stop you from using your faith or make you afraid, you lose. You can go to church and be very generous and very busy. You can do that the rest of your life. A busy, generous, helpful, loving, kind, peaceful soul. A pastor's delight. Listen, you can have all of it. Remember what I said Sunday about the people that had something besides God's way to live and they will live this way, but they were able to say, Lord, we prophesied, we cast out. Remember that? And Jesus said, I never knew you. 
There's no substitute for faith. There's no substitute for what God gave us in Luke 17. There is no substitute for it. But you've got to guard your faith. That means you've got to be careful who you hang around, who talks to you, who makes suggestions to you. Maybe your best friends, maybe sometimes your closest friends are the ones when you tell them, well, we're going to trust the Lord with this problem that we're having. They would say, oh, why would you do that? Man, don't do that. You know, that stuff's going around. That could be dangerous. Listen, I'm telling you, I read a story the other day in a paper about somebody that had this, and you know what could happen? Sisters and brothers talk that way to people in our church. Now, if I just caught somebody, I just made that up, but if you got caught, it was God catching you. But I mean, people that talk so fearful about people who want to just let God fix it. Well, God hadn't failed yet. He doesn't fail. Men fail, but he doesn't. Remember what Paul wrote, be not deceived, evil company corrupts good morals? What's evil company? Company that doesn't encourage spiritual things, that goes a different direction than God does. Maybe nice company, but it, still it's evil. Jesus said to his disciples, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, He's not talking about a person who just, you know, has slobber out of his mouth and eyes all bugged out weird. Evil is just something other than God. It's either good or evil. There's only two ways in life, either or, good or evil. And if they speak not according to this word, then I would call it evil. Or you get into the error of preachers on the radio and the TV. It is amazing to me. And I don't watch that stuff. I have taken a shot at several of them. What are these preachers saying? I've heard this one here for a minute, this one here for 20 seconds. Then here's the Catholic hour for 10 seconds. Then here's one I've heard of for a minute. And I think, how could you ever really know what Christianity is all about if you follow this stuff? This is so mixed up and so misleading, and people give millions of dollars to this stuff. Here's a millionaire preacher, like me, a millionaire preacher. A millionaire preacher, probably worth more than all of us in here put together, begging for money. Send that gift. We got to have that gift, and here's the, we're going to send you a book that I just wrote. He didn't write a book. He had it transcribed off of a tape. Somebody came along and spruced it up, put a cover on it, and sold it as a book. Charged nineteen ninety-five for it. Happens all the time. These people just make a lot of money. It's not like they're sincere. You are, but they're not. If you don't stay with the book, remember Paul said once you know of whom you've learned these things? Did he say that? Remember who you've learned this from? He said, you know my manner of life. He said that. And yet you look at all these different people that people are feeding on. You know none of them. You don't know anything about any of them except how they look on the screen. I don't know what it is today. There's some kind of a curse on ties and shaving. There is. There's something wrong today by looking nice. I mean, you're supposed to come out today with a bunch of ragtag old blue jeans, flip-flops, a rough-looking T-shirt unshaven, hair never been combed. Talk about the power of God. 
Well, you could use a little power to fix some of that head up on, comb that hair or something. This is a strange age that we're in. But one thing never changes. That's the power of that book that you're holding in your lap. Heaven and earth will pass away, but that word will never change. It will never be any different than it is. Never. The increase of our faith, brothers and sisters, is really up to us. If you're hungry and you desire more, if you're willing for the more that God has to offer, then God will fill your cup to the full. You'll begin to notice a change. You'll be blessed. And he'll bring you to the place where, like Paul said in Romans 8, he said, we are more than conquerors through him that's loved us. What's going to separate us? Shall pestilence or peril? How's that song go? Who shall separate? You know, then he begins to mention all those things. He said, nothing like that will. What's happened to the person who nothing can defeat him anymore? He's bound to his Lord. He has believed what his Lord said, and the devil, all of his darts hit that shield, and they burn out. This guy stays on top all the time. He's always said, or she, is always said encouragement. People note that you've been with the Lord. But today, it's just what church you belong to. Oh, what do y'all do? But if you say, well, we trust God for healing and all, then they think you're really strange. What's wrong with your leg? Nothing? Well, why is it crooked like that? I'm just trusting God for healing. Well, if you're healed, why aren't you normal? Why aren't you right? Well, that's a long story. If you want to hear it, I'll preach it to you. But I'm just letting God do his work. Because tomorrow, when it's over, that may be the last time I ever have to go through this. See, we're going from glory from a stage of existence to higher and higher and higher until one day nothing shall by any means harm you. So be it. Father, in Jesus' name, bless us with an understanding of this word, the power of it and the might of it, the glory of it and the joy of it. May we as receptacles receive it. And yet, may we come from this message or come from this walk with you with a simple faith that simply puts you first, to trust in you with all of our heart and lean not to our own understanding, to quit listening to all the negative reports about the serious diseases and health problems that are coming and just say, God has promised nothing of the sort. By the stripes of Jesus, we were healed. Lord, help us to dig deep out in our heart. Motivate us, settle us, make us strong. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.